Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to cut to the truth about pancreatic cancer and other complex problems, inject a burst of creativity into the field, and to provide a steady stream of hope to those affected by this terrible disease. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jordan Winter. I'm a pancreatic cancer surgeon, and I'm a pancreatic cancer scientist at University Hospitals, Seidman Cancer Center, and the Case Comprehensive Cancer Center in Cleveland. And I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Jonathan. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, my name is Jonathan Brody, and I'm at Oregon Health and Science University. I'm part of the Brendan Colson uh, Center for Pancreatic Care, and I'm also the Vice Chair of Research in the Department of Surgery and part of the Knight Cancer Institute. Today is an amazing day for us on this podcast. We have uh, two leaders in the field of pancreatic cancer. Um, we have Julie Fleshman, who is the CEO and president of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Um, Julie, I just noticed that um, you're on your basically your 20-year anniversary of being um, either an executive director or CEO or president of this um, institution that is basically uh, a beacon, if you will, not for just researchers and clinicians, but for patients. Um, you're also an incredibly strong force on Capitol Hill, where you've helped to push um, bills through. So you're an advocate, you're an educator, um, and you're also a huge proponent and you support in your own right um, research and um, a real champion. And you've, you've been someone I've, I've admired as a leader uh, within this field since I started um, on my mission to trying to understand this disease. So thank you for being here. We also have Dr. Lynn Matrizian here, who um, is the chief scientific officer of um, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Um, she is a world-class scientist. Um, she's published nearly um, 300 peer-reviewed publications. She was the president of the American Association of Cancer Research, um, and we can go on and on. I will say that I've been fortunate enough and honored enough to uh, be a co-author on some papers with her, and I have to tell you that her scientific rigor and her questioning um, is fantastic. I've learned a lot from you um, uh, as well, Lynn. What do, you, what do you think about the concept? When we reached out to you, or maybe you heard about this, of uh, the Pancreatic Cancer Podcast, some people might say, okay, there's a lot of podcasts out there. Do we really need a podcast for this topic? Is, th is this an important enough topic? Um, and, and what are the type of things that you would like to see us um, addressed? And I'd like to hear from both of you. Maybe we can just start with Julie on, by way of on my screen from right to left. Go ahead, Julie. Sure. Thanks so much, Jonathan and Jordan, for um, asking us to be a part of this today. So a pancreatic cancer podcast is a patient advocate for pancreatic cancer. I actually think it's really important for us to be talking about pancreatic cancer in many different forums and with different stakeholders. So from just uh, an ability to raise awareness and visibility about this disease. I think having a podcast on this topic is really important. Um, but also from the scientific and medical perspective, clearly there are a lot of challenges with both researching and treating pancreatic cancer. And so the opportunity for you know scientists, clinicians, surgeons, to have robust conversations around controversial topics that we're still trying to figure out so we can better treat patients 
um, I think is fantastic. That's how we get to, you know, better solutions and to answers um, ultimately for patients. Great. Lynn? Yeah, and I, I agree. Um, and again, thank you, Jonathan and Jordan, for, uh, for hosting this. Um, in a world where we get so used to sound bites, it, I think there is a need for a type of communication where you can get into more depth and you can um, reveal kind of different aspects um, rather than being very kind of unilateral in, in a perspective like you have to be in some other forms of communication. So to me, I put a podcast on when I go out walking in my neighborhood, which is something I do often since I can't go to the gym these days. Um, and the podcast is a way, um, a form of communication that I think has a very important place for those of us who like to get into something in a little bit more depth than just a very superficial um, treatment of it. So um, I, you know, I, I'm going to sort of jump into, a, a, I think, a hard question. I wouldn't think it's a provocative question, but something that I think is must be on, on your minds daily at the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And that is, I think I just read on your website, you've um, awarded something like $120 million or $120 million raised. Uh, I may be getting that number wrong, maybe you can correct it. But that, that it's a huge number over time. And, um, you know, to, to put that into context, the, the NIH um, gives around that number per year for pancreatic cancer research. And there's a huge responsibility, I would think, that the organization feels on how we're going to maximally allocate those funds. And I'm, I'm, I'd like, I'm, I think, I, I want to hear your take on how you go about thinking about that problem, um, both in the short term, but also in the long term. So maybe I can start and then and then hand it over to Lynn. So you mentioned the dollar amount. So what what that dollar amount is is 126 million dollars that PanCan has invested cumulatively to date in pancreatic cancer research. So we raise other dollars that go to things that are not related to research, like our patient services program, our call center. That's not included in that research investment. But that $126 million is what has been invested in our grants program, our early detection initiative, Precision Promise, which is a clinical trial PanCan is sponsoring, um, our patient registry, our Know Your Tumor service, all of the things that are allowing PanCan to learn, collect data, publish, and help move the field forward. So you asked, you know, how do we um, decide? Um, what do we prioritize and what do we focus on? Uh, Lynn will be great to, to take this, but I'll just maybe get started. Um, you know, we really look at what is the role that PanCan can play that no other single institution or institution like the NCI can really do on their own? What are the things where multiple stakeholders need to be brought together um, in order to accelerate progress and move things forward? And so those are the types of initiatives that PanCan is really good at and that quite frankly, nobody else can do. That, you know, there, there's so much good work being done at individual institutions all across the country. And so how can PanCan come, come in and bring those pieces together to really accelerate progress ultimately with we wanna make progress for patients. 
And so there's a lot of different ways that you can make progress in research, but is it benefiting patients? And that's really always what's that, you know, first and foremost in our minds is we think about what we're doing and what we should prioritize. So, Lynn, I know you'll have some things to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're exactly right, Jordan. We take it very seriously. It is quite a responsibility um, and, and an obligation, as Julie says, to make sure that we um, invest the resources that, um, that we have in research that's really going to make a difference in the field and for, and for patients. And so we try to be very strategic about that. Um, we started with, um, in the beginning, there were very few we could count. There were less than 20 um, NCI research grants that had pancreatic cancer in the title. There were not enough people studying the disease specifically. And so our initial investments were in, we have to build this field. We have to grow it. We need more people. Um, and that was, I think that's been successful. There is, there are now, uh, what, a, a couple hundred um, grants with pancreatic cancer in the title. So investigators that are really focusing um, on that work. So that was part of the strategy. As we got bigger and as the field got bigger, we could expand um, what we invested in from um, small kind of individual laboratory research grants, which are still important and remain the foundation of everything, to do exactly what Julie's talking about. What are the type of things that we can do that put those pieces together, that um, try to make the sum of it much greater than the individual parts? And as an advocacy organization with good relationships with the scientific community, with the um, patient community, um, with, in essence, the whole ecostructure that is behind this field, um, we think we are in a special position and we use that position um, responsibly in building these larger projects that have a lot of different components that if we can get all the wheels turning in exactly the same direction, we can really move the field forward. And so that's what we, um, we really try to invest in primarily, still building the field because we have to think about the future as well. But um, really, we've put a lot of our resources now into these larger projects um, that we think um, play a very special role and differentiating role within the field. So that that's outstanding. Um, I, I, you know, and, and as a Full disclosure, I've been funded by the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Um, and not only that, I would say that, to your point, as an example, I, I have my position here because I actually met Rosie Sears at a scientific meeting. And we made a lot of connections. And in fact, because of that, we received a U01 grant to, to, to study models of pancreatic cancer from the NCI, where we're both PIs on it. And if we didn't meet at your meeting, um, that wouldn't happen. So I, I think with that, you know, and going back to this sort of 20 year anniversary type thing, Julie, I want to ask you a question because I really view your organization. I'm involved, you know, um, American Cancer Society, other societies. Um, I'm just sort of thinking about it. I, I sort of view you all, let's use the analogy in this day and age with technology. You're sort of, uh, I would say the apple 
of, you know, uh, of these, um, of an advocacy group, certainly for pancreatic cancer. I mean, you, you did it from multiple fronts. You did it on education. You did it with patients. You provide hope. Um, and you've educated the government, right? You, you, you've been able to pass legislation that's been completely focused on pancreatic cancer. And you've been able to fund programs, uh, both externally and some of the internal things. With that said, much like Apple now, um, how do you how do you stay above the curve? I mean, you must have had a vision. I'm sure thinking about it, both of you, when you probably wouldn't think in 2020 that your organization would have gotten where it is. Um, but how you what's the next 10 years? How how can we bring this thing further? You know, to where we all want to bring it. Lynn, you want to go first? Yeah. Well. Um... We, we do make plans and we make long-term plans for, you know, where we want to go. We are very metric driven. So we use, we, we measure our progress towards those plans and it's all part of, of this larger strategy um, that we use. Um, I think you're absolutely right. We very much believe that it's not, it can't be unidimensional that we have to, we have to approach this from many different ways. So we do have, um, we try to influence Congress. We, you know, the DOD program that just started is really one of those, um, another way to fund research that complements kind of all the different things that are going on. So none of these things work in a vacuum. They all work together and you can get a lot of synergy from, from having it work together. Um, and so that is part of, has been part of the philosophy of the organization since the beginning. You have to support patients individually. You have to get the community engaged. You have to get the lawmakers engaged. You have to support research, get them engaged. This whole thing goes forward. So as we go forward, that has to still remain. It's more important now than it ever was. Um, and that'll be part of that strategy going forward. Yep. And I think, you know, um, we absolutely have a, a, a very high standard of excellence of what is expected at PanCan and the work that we do. Um, and, you know, as Lynn said, we're very metric driven and we hold ourselves accountable. And I think that's really important in the nonprofit space. Um, but if I were to really step back and say, what's the thing that's really special about PanCan? Why have we been successful? And I think it's about the culture and community that we've created. That, you know, PanCan celebrates the successes of patients, of families, of volunteers, of donors, of researchers, of healthcare. You know, we're just as excited as you are when we see a new publication, when we hear about something new that you're working on. And we, I think that, that um, enthusiasm, that passion, that desire to encourage and collaborate and to bring everybody together to get to where we're going, um, has really created a pretty special community. I mean, Jonathan, you said it, right? You met your now, you know, you're the person you now work with in, in Oregon at a PanCan event. And that's a really important part of what PanCan does for scientists and, you know, healthcare professionals is our community for progress. That's purposeful. We don't want to just give you a grant. 
we then want to make sure that you have sort of all the tools and resources and people around you to make you successful um, and to provide you those opportunities, you know, especially as junior investigators to continue to, you know, grow um, and advance in your, in your career. So um, I think, you know, as PanCan grows, as the field grows, one of the most important things we have to do is keep that important culture and community alive and well um, and still act, still have that feel like a small family, even as we get big like Apple and go out to dominate the world. Um, and so finding that balance, you know, is, is hard and tough but I have no idea that we can do it because I think that's what makes PanCan ultimately unique and successful. Well, I would definitely validate and acknowledge that, Julie. Even in Cleveland, there's a wonderful community that is led by Meredith Maimoni and others. And, um, and so I think one way that you're able to do that is with the, at the local level. And, um, mm -hmm. and it's, it, it's something that is really very special. Um, which, which, you know, and I want to get back to the science in a little bit, but I, I do want to jump to the patient component of this organization um, because it is so important and I want to give you a chance to, to speak, speak to it. I had a patient who passed away from pancreatic cancer a year or so ago and he had a tattoo on his forearm, Wage Hope. And um, and, and so that speaks to the community and the, the importance that PanCan has for patients. Can you talk to us a little bit about the patient services and, um, and some things also in, in, a, in, a, in a future thinking way, what are, what are some areas that, um, that maybe you haven't yet achieved on the patient service level that you would like to get to um, in, in the future? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think just, you know, our patient services program is the sort of foundation bedrock of PanCan, right? It is, it, it, it provides support for then everything that we wanna do even on the research front. And so maybe Lynn can talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that we've been able to put in place only because we have patient services like our Know Your Tumor program and what come out of that from a research perspective, but just focusing on, you know, providing information and resources to patients and families about what is a, you know, terribly challenging diagnosis that is scary. And depending on who your doctor is and where you're being seen, you might not be given all of the information that you need to really make an informed decision. That is an extremely, that service that we provide, I think is an extremely important component of actually changing patient outcomes. You all can be doing great research out there, you know, um, running great clinical trials, um, but if patients don't know about it and don't have access to the cutting edge research and we're not helping them get enrolled on those trials and really learning, um, we can't advance outcomes. And so I think PanCan's patient services plays a really important role in that. And, and, and also just providing, you know, what you just said, Jordan, it's this community, this feeling that these, you know, these people are not alone, that there's other people that have gone through this, that are going through this challenging disease, that they're willing to, you know, put a tattoo on their arm that sort of, bring, you know, connects them to this, this community 
forever. Um, and that the Pancam family is a really important part um, of their journey. And ultimately, in some cases, probably their ability to have good quality of life um, while they're facing this challenging disease because they have this enormous support system that's not just their doctor and their family, but this whole, you know, network of people that care about them, you know, across the country. So I, I think it's so important and foundational to everything we do, but has also served us well, and maybe Lynn can talk about, you know, how we've been able then to take we, we, we reached, last year we reached more than 14,000 new patients and families diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So how do we take that ability? We're talking to more pancreatic cancer patients and their families than any other institution in the world about pancreatic cancer. How do we take that then and really utilize it for, for research purposes? Yeah, I mean, that was really part of the vision was that we had, um, when I came to PANCAN, there was a very strong grants program, a good relationship with the, the scientific community. And then there was this phenomenal um, call center, which talked to all these patients. And I just thought, what an opportunity to learn, to not only help the patient in front of us, but to learn from them and help the patients of tomorrow. And that really eventually rolled into the Know Your Tumor program, which Jonathan, you know well, um, and uh, as well as our patient registry so that everyone can really participate and, and give information. And we have a number of publications that have come out of both of those initiatives um, where we've been able to, um, again, um, expand the ability of that patient to understand what's happening and know all the options that are in front of them. So by, by, by making sure they're aware that molecular profiling is possible, by offering the Know Your Tumor program, which helps them get that molecular profiling, helps them interpret it. You know, there would be a patient-facing report as well as a um, clinician-facing report, and they would they would, um, you know, the patient could really understand what was happening. That was so important. But then on the back end, we could, by accumulating um, information on more than 2,000 individuals, publish the kind of papers we've been able to publish, Jonathan, that show that if you have a molecular alteration in your pancreatic cancer tumor, um, and you get matched with a therapy that is directed towards the defect that that particular mutation causes in your tumor, that, you know, your, the overall survival of that population is a year longer. Um, that's, that's a big deal in a disease that moves very, very rapidly. Um, and I think that was a really important real-world evidence um, demonstration of how we not only help those patients, we learn from them, and we are helping those patients of tomorrow. So I, I recently had a patient who, uh, who we um, uh, nudged towards uh, PANCAN, and he called, and he, um, and he uh, entered the Know Your Tumor program, and, and we profiled it. Um, but for patients who might be listening to this, what are some other common questions that a patient might ask when they call the call center? What are some things that patients specifically would utilize the, the organization and call center for? Yeah. Yeah. Go so ahead, the, yeah. So, you know, we, um, 
the kind of information we give is the way we think about it is let's get patients on the right track. So wherever they are in their journey, there are things that they should know about. And so the first thing is have the right team. Make sure you have the right people. We, very, we recommend that um, patients see individuals who see a high volume of pancreatic cancer patients who have experience with this disease, who have seen it before, rather than seeing a couple cases a year, that that makes a big difference. So we have a list of physicians who are, who see a large, who specialize in essence in pancreatic cancer. And so we can give them that list. We can tell them how to get a second opinion. Um, So part of it is the right track, uh, the right team, So the right team, the right test, that is what kind of, you know, any information on um, diagnostic procedures, information on know your tumor, all those kinds of information is important. Right treatment, what are the clinical trials options for that patient? We have a clinical trial database that we keep updated by calling around to sites every month and making sure we know which ones are open um, and which ones are are available to, to, in essence, what kind of patients so we can give really accurate information. Um, And then share your data. Um, so put your information in the registry. Um, make sure people know about it. Um, you know, so that's all part of the right track. And so patients can call in. They can. We have a survivor and caregiver network um, where if you're interested in talking to another patient who has gone through a similar type of of situation um, or a caregiver, we can give you um, the phone numbers of those people and you can call them. So it's really, there's just all along the, the whole um, journey, there's information that we can provide um, to help patients. That, that's really fantastic. Let me follow up on that thread. And before I forget, because Jordan mentioned, I have to mention Bruce Platt from Philadelphia. Um, as, as as an example of some, he actually gave me this uh, sweatshirt I'm wearing. <laughs> no, those, those, those listening, well, I'll have you'll have to um, either uh, send me a message on Facebook and I'll send it send a picture. But um, to follow up on that, Lynn and Julie, you know, one of the you, you've done a lot of um, really, really, I think, really important studies, and you published them, which is really unusual for. Um, you know, I, I think a, a really strong advocacy slash, you know, um, nonprofit organization. One of the things that's sort of buried in there that I know we talk about, but doesn't really get a lot of, um, you know, play is the, um, the percentage of patients who actually go on clinical trials. You know, th- this, this, is a, this is a remarkable statistic. Um, and I'll let you actually talk about the data because I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's been, been updated. But, you know, it's just interesting from my point of view because from Cancer Center point of view, you know, you want to you accrue 20% of your patients to clinical trials and you're considered, you know, very successful. Um, and, you know, number one, what, what, what's the latest statistic on how many patients with pancreatic cancer actually go on clinical trials? Number two, um, can you expand a little bit about what you think the major obstacles are? You, you all have done a fantastic job trying to break down those walls, but 
I know that I, I know that there's still obstacles that that exist. Um, can you can you talk about those statistics? Yeah, it's a really hard number to get at. Is uh, um, in essence the number of pancreatic cancer patients across the United States that go on clinical trials versus the number that are newly diagnosed that year, right? Um, um, but we have run those those numbers, and they I think the first year it was what three point nine percent and it went up to four point two percent, so we saw a little bit of change, but that 's still a very small percentage of um, the case this is actually of the um, prevalence so of the number of pancreatic cancer patients alive um, in that year um, was the number that we run. Um, so, yes, that is, and there are the reasons, and we do collect information on the reasons of why, um, why they didn't get into, why, why they did not enroll in a, in a clinical trial. Um, we haven't done that for a while, so I guess I don't have any updated numbers, but they are, a lot of them is just, this is a, this is a hard disease. And so to think about where I have to go in order to get a clinical trial, um, you know, we, we run the searches within a, a radius that the, the individual is comfortable um, traveling to. So 25 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles, a couple hundred miles. Um, and that really does um, add, it's quite a burden on, on an individual to get to an institution that runs clinical trials. But part of your and we also know yeah, that, a, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, we also know that a lot of um, doctors don't even offer their patients clinical trials. So that is one of the big barriers. Um, depending on where a patient is being seen, you know, we know 80% of patients are being seen or in a setting um, and not necessarily at a big cancer institution and are not um, being offered clinical trials. And so that's an important message for PANCAN to get out really on both sides. But certainly we advocate to patients and recommend that all patients consider clinical trials at every step of their journey. Um, and we're also trying to push that message out to healthcare professionals as well. And I think, sorry, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, I think one of the great things about Know Your Tumor, first of all, I, I, I think it's an amazing program. And I, it's also, there's not many programs that I love that also have a perfect title for it. So I think it was great. It's, it's a great title. Um, but I think one of the great things about that is you're not just educating the patients, you're educating the medical oncologists about what clinical trials might be an option for them. And the fact that you were able to do that on in 50 states um, is, is, is pretty incredible. I mean, you know, really kudos to you. I would just follow up and then, um, you know, a, a question. What about the science? You know, I mean, Jordan, you could you could look at us, you know, about translational scientists because you know I we both have stuff that hopefully will come to clinical trial soon. But are you for for people who've invested so much time and money, and you you know you're constantly um, rubbing shoulders with the best uh, scientists in this community? Um, looking back on it, would you say that you're um, you know, are you disappointed in the amount of things that have gone bench to bedside, or does it not surprise you? Um, and, you know, do, do you think we're on the right pace for that? You know, just sort of asking a little bit more of a provocative question. Where, where, where do, how do you both feel about that? 
Yeah. I mean, I think we're certainly disappointed in the number of trials that have failed in pancreatic cancer, right? It's a pretty dismal number. In fact, Lynn can talk. We did a paper and published on looking back over the last 30 years on, on you know, phase two and three pancreatic cancer clinical trials. And, it, and it's not, it's, it's not um, something that any of us should be excited about. And that was really the impetus behind us thinking about Precision Promise, which is an adaptive clinical trial platform, and thinking about how do we change clinical, the traditional clinical trial system is not working from the perspective of producing new treatment options for patients, and it costs too much money, and it takes too long, and you can only test one thing at a time, and there's a long list of things that, you know, sort of are problematic. And so how can we solve for that? And that's really what this new initiative that we're in the middle of launching right now called Precision Promise is all about, is a new, creating a new model for how to test drugs in a challenging disease, you know, like pancreatic cancer. So again, PanCan is attacking this problem head on um, because we have been disappointed with, um, you know, the results of clinical trials, you know, over the last um, 30 years. And, you know, I think there's still a lack, a pretty big gap in our knowledge about the disease and what are the best trial studies and designs to put together. What should we be testing? I think there's just still a big gap in really coming up with new innovative ideas that we can test through clinical trials and patients. And that's part of the problem, you know, as well. Lynn, do you wanna? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, you can always look at this, the glass half full, the glass half empty, you know, I mean, the bottom line in this, in this disease, we always, um, we have to celebrate the success so I can say there have been seven, you know, kind of treatment breakthroughs in the last five years compared to like four in the 15 years before that. This is, this is progress, right? I mean, we are getting someplace. It's still not enough. The survival rate is still, you know, only 10%. Um, and so it's, it's, not enough. We have a lot more work to do, but there's there's momentum. We're feeling like um, that again. There's enough people in the field now, enough scientists and clinicians, you know, dedicated to the disease um, that we're putting in structures like Precision Promise, so that we can fail faster, learn faster, test things faster. You know, really get the 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 crank turning um, to under to move things fat forward as fast as we can. So there's the the good part is things are starting to move. The bad part is there's still a long way to go. <laughs> and you know, one example of a, a positive change when back when we did our very first analysis of the pancreatic cancer clinical trials, one of the main observations was that there were no second line clinical trial options for patients and that really that's what we needed that patients you know were on first line getting on first line but now they needed second line and there were really no clinical trials now when we've done that analysis today that's no longer the issue there's plenty of second line you know treatment options in fact now there's third line treatment options and we just had a maintenance therapy approved for pancreatic cancer 
So, Julie, you had mentioned in, in one of your answers that the, that one of the barriers to uh, to our success is not is not necessarily um, implementing or running clinical trials, but it's identifying innovative ideas that we can we can implement. I think innovation is something that that I'd like us to to try and discuss a little bit and hit on. I want to, um, uh, as a prelude, just tell you one very interesting story that John and I share. Um, and it's kind of a unfinished story, but there was a scientist um, from Australia, the other side of the world, who is in her 80s, and she's a particle physicist. And she found John somehow when we were both at Thomas Jefferson. And um, the first time he spoke with her, we were both in his room and we had a call and we had a number of calls with her. And she swears that she can diagnose cancer with a skin biopsy not melanoma, she can diagnose any cancer with a skin biopsy. And what she does is she, she, she shines a bunch, a, a bunch of particles on the skin and she can tell if you have a, an underlying tumor somewhere. And she wanted us to take skin biopsies or hair follicles from our patients. And then she would meet us in Chicago where she would book time on their cyclotron and <laughs> And she, would tell us, and she would tell us that she can diagnose pancreas cancer. So Jonathan and I were so excited by this because we're like, wow, this is great. We're not, she could be a quack or she could be onto something. And I think that is an example, or at least begs the question, um, is if we need to be more open to people outside of our field, because I feel like we are a bunch of pancreatic cancer biologists who train more pancreatic cancer biologists who just think like us. And is that limiting our ability to come up with new ideas? And, and so how do we try and engage new blood? So I certainly think we wanna bring in experts from other areas. I don't think we want to lose our pancreatic cancer experts and expertise because I think we've also heard sort of the other side of that where, you know, a pancreatic cancer grant is reviewed by people who know nothing about the disease and because they don't really understand it, they don't understand that this is an innovative idea or this is the right next step in the process. Um, so I, I, I think you still need the pancreatic cancer experts who truly understand the challenges and difficulties with uh, both on the research side and with treating the disease. But we certainly should be bringing in experts from other areas that have experience that can help make us, I think, think about things differently um, and think about how to you know, test things differently, combine things differently, um, or, you know, from a basic biology perspective, what's been learned in other areas that potentially, you know, can be um, translated, you know, to, to work that we're doing in pancreatic cancer. Lynn? Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of, you know, bringing in these um, what seem like off-the-wall ideas from people who have totally different perspectives and that type of thing. But I don't, at least in my experience, I think that if you don't have a, a, somebody who knows this particular disease on the team to, um, to make sure it's relevant to that disease, I, I think that that is a missed opportunity. I think that, that you can stumble around in the 
in the dark longer without that person than with. Now, does that put it in a box? Yeah, probably. Um, but, you know, look what we've learned about pancreatic cancer and how it differs from other cancers, about how the stroma makes it so much, you know, that's really a very distinguishing characteristic between pancreatic cancer and other cancer types. If you totally ignore that, um, even if you're coming at it from a different perspective, I think in the long run, that's going to turn around and, and be an obstacle. So I would just as soon at least reveal the obstacles up front um, and not not diminish the um, the drive, the importance, you know, let the innovation be the driver, but make sure that it is colored by, in essence, an understanding of the disease. Yeah, and, and you know, to be open to thinking about things differently. I think that's one of the challenges we've certainly run into, and maybe going back to Know Your Tumor is a great example. You know, back Seven years ago, when we launched Know Your Tumor, nobody was using personalized medicine and pancreatic cancer, and quite frankly, most people didn't think that it was going to matter or help. And that's really what we were being told even by, you know, pancreatic cancer experts. And so we said, well, we don't know that for a fact. There's no data to show that. And so PanCan has the opportunity to learn and, you know, not hurt anyone in the process, but hopefully help, but also learn if, you know, molecular profiling has a place in this disease. And so I think you do have to push the boundaries and push people to think outside of their, their comfort zone. Um, and, you know, you can do that both with pancreatic cancer experts and with people that are outside of the field. And I think that's actually an important role that PanCan can play is to sort of push some of those boundaries and think about new ways to, um, you know, study the disease and potentially treat patients in the future. In light of that, it's funny because I was going to ask, I was going to say, you know, in this time of COVID, um, how is, how is PanCan thinking about things? And, you know, I view it as an opportunity. I've been able to have um, talks with collab collaborators and people that I would never thought of would have worked with. Um, and so we're usually, you know, as a silver lining, we're taking this time to sort of engage more with people both in and outside the field and write grants and think about ideas and, you know, as we social distance and get back into the lab. Um, just as a sort of a final thought during this uh, pandemic, um, you know, what, as an organization with the challenges we're all facing, um, how, how are you, um, you know, I, I know that from the affiliates just on the grassroots thing that they're doing these sort of virtual purple strides and, and other things. But, you know, again, similar to what the conversation we had, hopefully it's recorded and, um, uh, you know, would we can have these types of conversations more often um, and, you know, don't have to necessarily meet, meet somewhere, although face-to-face -face meetings, there's nothing like it, um, as I talked about before. So can you talk about that? Sure. So I mean, we've definitely had to take on much more of a virtual world than we've ever had to do before. Um, you know, PanCan has 58 Purple Stride Walk events that happen in a calendar year. And so starting mid-March, we had to, we had actually 28 events scheduled between mid-March and the end of June. And so all 28 of those events had to, you know, go virtual. Um, and that what's required to raise money for a virtual event are different tools and resources than what is needed when you're doing it, you know, live on the ground. 
Um, and, you know, we did find that the fundraising um, declined for those virtual events, raising only about 50% of what we normally would raise for in-person events. Um, so, you know, we've had to modify and, okay, but we know that our fundraising is going to be impacted over the next year. Um, and so it forces you to prioritize. And I think, you know, it, we've done a good job at really looking at what's most important. Um, what are the big initiatives that we're working on that we do not want to stop and we do not want to slow down? And I'm proud to say that even with a reduction in our fundraising and a reduction in our expenses for this next 12 months, we actually are increasing our research investment. So, you know, these kinds of things force an organization to prioritize and to focus on the things that are most important. Um, and that's, you know, what we found ourselves doing like many other places, you know, around the world. And this part of the silver lining is that, that kind of focus on it and, and making us, you know, realize that, yeah, pancreatic cancer is still happening. We need to be able to adjust rapidly to this um, and to help our patients and uh, keep the research going and um, what kind of efficiencies can will come out of this, what kind of technologies, again, you know, getting used to um, having meetings virtually cuts down on a lot of travel time. Um, you know, this can be a really good thing. Um, so in the end, you um, kind of um, incorporating that into um, taking the best out of this experience and, and those learnings and moving them forward. Well said. And um, I'll give Jordan the last word here, but I just want to thank you for everything you've done. I mean, I think in part, if it wasn't for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, I wouldn't uh, be able to not only provide maybe discoveries towards the field and understanding of this disease, but actually train the next generation of scientists who will continue to make a difference in this disease. And so thank you very much for being our purple warriors and, and you know, continuing to um, push the boundaries for us and, and think out of the box. Jordan, any final thoughts or questions? Well, I, I echo uh, your gratitude, John, towards Julie Lynn and, uh, and the entire organization. It's just such a wonderful organization. And, um, and that community component, which, which uh, you both spoke of is, is so important. And I want to encourage all of us to think of ways to just continue to expand that concept. I know that there's gains that, have yet, that, that need to be made still in that realm, that our patients need to be connected better and they all have needs uh, and scientists do as well, particularly young scientists. Um, so I, I think that the community uh, thread is definitely a strength and sets the organization apart. And uh, so th the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network has definitely um, had a positive imprint on this on this world. And it's uh, it's just been great to be uh, associated with your organization in any way we can. Well, thank you both Jordan and Jonathan. You guys are amazing and you're shining examples of why this community is so special. Um, and we're just so grateful for your passion and commitment uh, to pancreatic cancer patients.
Take it on down.